0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with everyone on the Lord's Day. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be continuing through our four-week series called The Disciples' Prayer, where we are learning how to pray. See, we believe that God desires for us to pray. He has this desire for you and I, and so in return, we have a hunger to grow in this. And so we are exploring this section of Luke's gospel in chapter 11, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, where the disciple goes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach me how to pray as John taught his disciples. And so he goes with this desire to learn and grow. And here we are today with the same passion. So we saw last week, That in this disciples' prayer, it opens up with these two big ideas that we pray to exalt the Father, to worship Him, and then we pray for His will. And so when we're praying together, we're lifting high the name of Jesus, understanding how majestic God is, and then we are praying His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we continue onwards today in verses 3 and 4. I want to ask you as we go into this, um, have you ever wondered uh, why particular Christians or maybe churches do certain things? So like when I, when I talk about that, like really like churchy type, Christianity type, Southern Baptist type things, you know, there, there are things that, that churches and, and believers have done in, in years past and, and there's just things they've done that I just, I just didn't understand. And I'm sure there are things that churches have done that, that you don't understand, that couldn't comprehend until someone, or even for myself, the, the Word explained it. Um, let, me, let me give you a few examples. One is, and if, if you're familiar with this, you'll, you'll catch where I'm going with this in a second. But one of the first things, I, just, I never got this, I never understood this, was when a church would prepare to send out a missionary, or like a uh, missions team to go to a different place, or they're going out for the week. And when they would gather around, they would lay hands on this, uh, brother, sister, this team. And, and this is what you would hear. You would hear them pray. And then, and throughout the prayer, uh, every now and then you would hear, Lord, I just pray a hedge of protection over these people, a hedge of protection. And I remember growing up thinking, a hedge. For real? <laughs> like, that's what you're praying over them? A hedge? And I'm, and I'm, and in my mind, like, I'm thinking, like, why, why a hedge? Like, you could pray, like, a brick wall or, you know, an, an army or something. And, and I remember even hearing that as a kid, and that was at the same time that the movie Over the Hedge came out. You guys remember that? And I'm like, like, there are squirrels going through this hedge. Obviously, it's not that good. And, and in my head, I just, thought, I just don't get that. Like I do not get why churches did, but there is a reason for this. In the book of Job, chapter one, where the Lord and and Satan adversary, they're having this conversation, and he says, uh, he says to the Lord, "Have you not made a hedge about him? Talking about Job and his house and all that he has on every side." And so, there's a reason why churches pray that it's this idea of protection over believers. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of obedience, whatever it may be, but there's a reason for it. But I never understood that growing up, a hedge of protection. So it's totally okay to pray a hedge of protection over someone. And so there's a there's another one that that I didn't understand. If you ever uh, if you're out from the uh, the rural areas of Alabama or out in the countryside, you'll have a lot of just small town churches, and they'll have these small buildings. They'll be out in the countryside. It's a beautiful setting. But oftentimes, you will also have adjacent to the church building, a graveyard. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like a church cemetery. And, uh, you know, when I first saw these, I thought, man, like, why would they do that? <laughs> like, I found my first time guest, and I'm coming, and I'm like, wow, that's great. Uh, I just didn't understand that. But there's a reason for that, too, just like the hedge protection That would like, when when we think of that, we think like, man, that's kind of like dark and sad, but that's not what it is at all. It's actually a a picture of a present reality that these believers are in, in heaven together, worshiping the Father in glory. And it's this picture of faithfulness, of them being together as a church family forever, as the church. And so it's not a sad thing, but it's a beautiful thing that was designed for it. But I even had a friend ask me recently and they said, they asked me, "Hey, this is random, but like, why do Christians pray for meals?" And and if and if you're if you're a believer, maybe you do that, maybe you don't. Like right before you'll pray like, "Let's bless the food or let's pray for the food." And and I thought about it and I realized I really hadn't put a lot of thought to that. And is this like I was wondering, is this a thing that people just do or is this something that there is a reason for? And there is indeed a reason for that. See, Christians, when we think about the disciples' prayer, we not only pray to exalt the Father, we not only pray to see His kingdom come as His will be done, these are prayers aimed to the Father. But next in the disciples' prayer, we see prayers that are aimed to your and my own needs. And so one of those is including food. In this passage we're about to read, he's going to say, give us this day our daily bread. And so the reason we pray before a meal is oftentimes to thank the Father for providing us our next meal. It's not random, but there's a reason for it. And so in this passage, verses 1 and 2, it says, uh, praise this desire towards the Father. And now, with His kingdom coming and His will being done, we are going to pray for ourselves in this next session section. And we are going to pray for others as we see God lay out three requests that the believers are to follow. And so it's in this that we see these prayers geared towards ourselves and other believers that this is not a selfish thing. He calls us to do this. But today, what I desire for you to grow in is how to pray for you and how to pray for the people around you in the most basic way. And so there are three requests to pray on a regular basis in your life for the people around you that we're going to see. So let's read in verse one. We're going to go through four, then we will unpack this together. So in verse 1, he says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Verse 2, chapter 11 says, And he said to him, to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray together and then we will unpack this. Heavenly Father, we come to you now to praise your name, to lift high the name of Jesus. God, we're so thankful for the faithfulness and the grace you have lavished on everyone here today. God, we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that as we see these three petitions, these three requests, that God, these would be a foundation for us to pray on a daily basis. And that this would grow us in our relationship with you, where we see your faithfulness in every single one of these. God, I pray that your word would cut to our hearts now and that we would grow deeper in your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So we see this shift from the prayers towards God to the prayers towards you and I, where we are lifting up these requests. And so there are three things, three requests, that I believe Jesus lays out for us to pray for. And so the three that we are going to see today is one, that we are to pray for provision two, to pray for pardon, and three, to pray for protection. We're going to pray for provision, we're going to pray for pardon, and then we're going to pray for protection. So let's start with this first one where we are going to pray for provision. You'll notice in verse three, he says, give us each day our daily bread. And so you got to understand something here that there is no prayer too big and there is no prayer too small for the Father. He is saying To pray for your daily needs. See, you have bread, this picture of food, this daily necessity to survive. And it teaches us something here, that we must not forget where your provision comes from. It comes from God. Because let's be real for a second here. There is, in this life, we do not think about this too often, at least not in America, but we typically don't think about praying in hopes that we will receive our next meal. Right? like we, we, we typically, we feel like we have that covered. We got that. We're good. We don't worry about water or food. It's something we can handle on our own. But hear me out. You and I are more dependent on God than you and I know. The God is the one who has created us from dust. He is the one that strengthens our muscles, our bones. He is the one that gives us that oxygen to breathe. In reality, everything we do in this life, is dependent on God. Everything we do. When we recognize how, how dependent we are and not self-sufficient, it makes this verse come to life because we recognize we need this. Like We need our daily bread. We can't go through this life on our own. See, God is faithful to provide for your and my needs. He does this. And, and notice something here when he says daily bread. He is, and I, and I specifically say like this, he says to pray for your needs, not your wants. So I hate to burst your bubble, but I don't believe that if you come to the Father and say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I need an F-150. 2021, please. <laughs> now that would be cool. Don't get me wrong. That would be Awesome. But I don't believe he would do that. At least I don't think generally he would. I'm not saying he, could, he couldn't, but generally he would not. And that's not because you don't have enough faith or you didn't tithe enough. That's not why. It's because he provides our needs, not the extras. One theologian said it really well about this passage. He says, you are instructed to pray for bread, not dessert. And that makes so much sense. That, brother, sister, if you truly have a need, you can give it to the Lord. And he is faithful to answer it. I think the rest of Scripture, especially in the Gospels, prove this. Where, if you don't care, turn to Matthew 6 real quick. And I just, want, I just want to prove it to you. Matthew 6, in verse 25, where Jesus on the Summer of the Mount validates this. He says in verse 25 of chapter 6 in the Gospel of Matthew, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That is water to a weary soul right there. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is life not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father knows you need them. God knows your deepest needs. He says, are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. He continues on. He says, yeah, I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God took clothes, to the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. He says in this passage that God the Father knows every single need that you have. He knows the needs that you don't even know you need. That is how incredible he is. And he illustrates it by saying, look at all the birds of the air. He says, they don't worry about what they're going to eat next, yet he feeds them. I was curious because I read this and I really wanted to know how many birds are on the earth today. According to National Geographic, I have no idea how they figured this out. (laughs) This is probably why it's so wide a range. They estimate it's somewhere between 50 billion to at most 430 billion birds in the world today. That is a lot of birds. And God feeds every single one of them. He sees you as more valuable than them, though. See, if God is faithful to do this for them, surely he will be faithful to provide for you, his children. And so you are to trust him, to call to him, and ask that he would provide your needs. This is a biblical thing. This isn't a prosperity gospel thing. This is a biblical prayer. Last thing on this before we move on. Notice this is not only a prayer for you, but this is also a prayer for the people sitting next to you, the people in this room right now, the church at large, the body of Christ. When you look at it, he does not say, Lord, give me my daily bread. What does he say? give us our daily bread it's in the plural and so when you pray for your daily needs do not pray for your needs alone but pray for your brothers and sisters as well that God would provide for them and their needs see the provision of God is not a singular event but it is a community-wide deal It is a church-wide matter of prayer that all brothers and sisters, that everyone in this assembly would have their basic needs met. This is what God calls you to pray for. So not only to pray for you, but to pray for everyone around you. We are to pray not only for provision, but we are also to pray for number two, pardon. We're to pray to be pardoned from our sins. He says in verse four, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So the idea here is that not only are we going to ask God to provide for our needs, but we're going to ask him to pardon our sins. In other words, to ask for forgiveness for our sins. And so if you are a Christian, this brings us to a very good question. If you are a Christian, and indeed you have been saved by grace... You have been saved by faith, and you have been forever saved from your sins. Why is Jesus asking you to ask for forgiveness? That's a good question. Like if if God says that nothing is going to separate from His love, that we have been washed white as snow, and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, why is He asking us to ask for forgiveness? He's telling us to ask for forgiveness. Haven't we been forgiven? For all sins, haven't we been justified and declared righteous by believing in Jesus? Of course. So why are we doing this? If you have a parent and a child, children will do what children will do. And inevitably at some point, and this is everybody here, including myself, when you were growing up, that you would sin against your parents or your guardians. Now, prayerfully, when a child sins against mom and dad, prayerfully, their parents would not turn their back on their kids. It doesn't change the fact that mom and dad still love the children or their guardians still love their children. Like it's their kid. There's nothing that that child could do against his or her parents or guardians that would force their parents to change their mind on how they felt, no matter how bad it is. That's what we would pray for. Like if my little girl Heidi, if she grew up, And she was just a total rebel. And there's a chance. I saw her in the nursery. Uh, If she just grew up and was a total rebel and defied everything Lexi and I asked her to do, I would still love her. Nothing would change that. And the reason I would still love her is because she's my kid. But when a kid sins against her parents or uh, her guardians, well, it doesn't mean that they may not be necessarily not loved anymore. It does mean that their relationship can be hindered, right? And isn't that how all relationships go? That if you sin against somebody else, you do something wrong against someone else, your relationship is not the same as it was before, right? Like if you gossip about someone, you have anger towards someone, you insult someone, on the other side of it, you are not as tight as you were before. And so when it comes to God, yes, we can sin against him. And as his children, we actually do this all the time, whether we know it or not. It will not remove us from his love. But our communion, our withness, our closeness, our relationship to him is hindered. And so daily, he is asking that you and I would confess and ask for forgiveness Not so that we could be saved from our sins over and over and over again, but that so our relationship with God would be strong, that it would be close, that we would be growing closer into the image of His Son, Jesus. This is what He lays out here. Interestingly enough, this is exactly why we call this series the Disciples Prayer. When we think about this passage, oftentimes it's known as the Lord's Prayer, what what Christ prays to the Father. But when we think about this, when we see this, we, we see this and think, well, this isn't so much what Jesus himself prays. Now, before you stone me, listen, this isn't so much what he prays, but it's what he wants his disciples to pray. Why do I say that? How many times in the New Testament does Jesus pray for forgiveness from his sins? Zero, right? Because he never sinned. He was perfect. He was without sin. He is the one that he doesn't have to ask for forgiveness. He gives forgiveness. And see, this prayer is directed for you and I more than Christ himself. Because Christ isn't asking forgiveness. He's saying this is what you need to do. Which is why we say it's the disciples' prayer. Alongside of this, there's an incredibly important tag to this that you have to understand. Understand that this prayer has a contingency. If you look back, he says, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. He says, forgive us our sin for we ourselves forgive everyone that is indebted to us. In other words, what he is saying here is if you want to receive forgiveness, you must be willing to forgive others that have wronged you. Listen, listen, There is no forgiveness to be received for the one who is not willing to give it. There's no forgiveness to be received for the one who is not willing to give it. See, what he is saying here is if we are willing to ask for forgiveness, ask to be pardoned for our sins from God, yet we have been sinned against and we are not willing to forgive our brother or sister or whoever it may be, it makes us hypocritical, right? We in our sin are saying, God, forgive me. Forgive us of what we've done. And yet we see our brother and sister and say, but I'm not going to forgive them for what they've done. And God says, when you pray, we forgive. He says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to you and I. Charles Spurgeon gives a strong warning about this passage. He says, unless you have forgiven others, you have just read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. He says that you're reading your own death sentence because God does not forgive those who are not willing to forgive. It's a serious deal. John Wesley, a pastor and revivalist in the 1700s, he had a conversation with the British General Oglethorpe. And Oglethorpe, he had this reputation... This general of being prideful and bashful and unapproachable. And there was a specific moment where John Wesley and the general were in the same place and they began to have a conversation. It was very heated, very unpleasant. And it was somewhere along the lines in this conversation that the general looked at Pastor Wesley and he said to him three words. He said, I never forgive. And John Wesley looked back to him and wisely said, then I hope, sir, You never sin. See, a true believer is willing to forgive the sins of others, no matter what. And so if we don't display that willingness, we are missing a deep conviction of God's character and His will for us. If there is no forgiveness in you, the love of God is not in you, and you are not in God's will here. That He calls us to pardon others as Christ pardons us. You, We are equally deserving the same fate, yet Christ displays His grace and forgives us. How could we not forgive others? It's what a mature believer does. So we see that we are to pray for provision. We're to pray to be pardoned. And then number three, as we finish up, we are to pray for protection. We're to pray for protection. The final little element of this, he says, after we forgive ourselves, uh, forgive us our sins, For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Church family, you, you got to understand something here, that we have an enemy. Ephesians 6 is very clear, that you and I are not a war with flesh and blood, but against the rules and principalities of darkness. That we have a spiritual battle, that there is an enemy, the adversary, Satan himself, who seeks to lead you astray from God. Satan himself, the master manipulator, deceiver, whose cunning placement of temptation is designed so that you would drift far from God, unknowingly, quietly, deceptively, where you find yourself one day close to the Father, and then the next day you feel drifting far away from the shore. Where you find yourself waiting in sin, finding yourself waiting in darkness, and you feel like there's no escape, like a frog being boiled in water, a Christian slowly giving way to temptation. We pray for protection, that God would lead us away from this. Will this free us from all temptation? I don't believe so. We do know that God indeed allows this. We, partly because it grows us in our faith, believe it or not, we consider that from the life of Job, who I talked about earlier whom had every reason to turn from the Lord in the midst of his trials, yet he didn't. We see God allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days, yet he remained faithful. We see that temptation will exist, but I want to encourage you and assure you, if you are someone here today that is so deep into temptation, where you feel like you are constantly submitting, constantly giving way to whatever it may be, I want to encourage you with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Temptation exists, but God provides a way out. He says, No temptation, in verse 13 of chapter 10, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your own ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way out, a way of escape that you may be able to endure. Folks, God always provides a way out of temptation. No matter how enticing, how, how great temptation may look, it is not stronger than the power of the Lord. He promises a way out. He promises that He will give you strength to endure it. And so it's in this passage that we pray He leads us away from this. That we would be led away from temptation and that we would remain close to the Father. Church family, we are to pray for provision for all of our needs, for you and I, for everyone here. Pray that God would meet us in our needs so that we could flourish in his kingdom coming and his will actively be playing out. We pray for forgiveness, understanding that we fall short of the glory of God, but God is full of grace. He is full of mercy and he is full of forgiveness. And so we pray that he would pardon our sins. And then finally, we pray pray for protection. As our church grows, as our church matures, as you and I live in obedience to Him, I can assure you, I can promise you, that there will be days ahead that the enemy seeks to lead you and I astray. And we may not even recognize it. But we pray that God would protect us. That He would lead you and I through the midst of temptation. We pray for provision, we pray for uh, pardon, we pray for protection. Friend, if if you're here today, and you've never trusted in Jesus, right now, as you consider your life, or maybe right now, your identity, the core of your being, the core of who you are, is rooted in yourself, rooted in your own life, your own identity, your own vocation, your own work, and not in the salvation of Jesus where right now you may be a slave to sin, a slave to this way, I want to encourage you that you no longer have to be. Christ, as He forgives us daily for our sin, He can forgive you of your sin forever. He can pardon you. He can justify you. If you trust in Jesus, asking for forgiveness of your sins, He is faithful to forgive. No matter what you have done, Sin that is in the dark, God has a way of exposing these things. But sin that is thrown into the hands of Jesus, instead of exposing it and throwing us in guilt of it, He covers it. Jesus forgives it, and He remembers it no more. Give your sin to Him. Give your life to Him. Trust in Jesus. And He will be your Savior. He will be your friend. He will be your Father. And by believing in Him, you will become a part of the family of God. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the best news I can offer you today. So if you are here, never believing, never trusting, today is the day. And I want to invite you to believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.